Hey, uh, the first, uh, first off, preschool kindergarten can go right over here. I think Denise is taking the little ones today, right there. First through sixth graders can follow Jane. The older kids are going to stay with us today because there's a few things in today's message you'll probably benefit from. Sorry, uh, if you do fall asleep, don't snore, but I think you'll benefit. And so, anyhow, uh, the, the meal I'm going to serve today is a little bigger uh, than I usually serve. And, uh, and so, fasten your seatbelts because we're going to cover some material here. And, uh, and so, we are in Genesis chapters 1 through 3. We're talking about the creation account. And this morning, we're going to talk about the creation of man and how man is created in the image of God, at, which makes us different than all the other animals in the animal kingdom. And so, here's the passage we're looking at out of uh, Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image. In our likeness, let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, a few important observations before we really get into this deep. The first is, is God says, let us make man. And the first question is, who's us? Who's he talking to? Us is more than one. It's plural, okay? And uh, this is one of the very first affirmations in the Bible that we worship a three-in-one God. There are, God is made up of three entities, separate entities that are so combined and connected they can be considered one. And remember that the word for God in, this, in the Hebrew here is plural. So you've got that. There is that. And I want you to remember this because it's going to become really important at the end of this message. So put a tag on that. Second thing, God said, let us make man in our image and our likeness. So unlike any other animal or any other created thing, we are in God's very own image. And that makes you and me very special, very valuable. And when we say that human life is just a product of nature derived from lower life forms, life ceases to be sacred. It seeks to be valuable. And really, we become expendable. There's really no reason to keep anybody alive if they're just too inconvenient for the rest of us. And we kind of see that happening in our society today. But because we're created in the image of God, all human life is sacred. Our passage also says that God created us in his image as male and female. We're going to talk about that next week. So if you want some controversy and, you know, talk about a hot topic, come next week or don't. I mean, if you do that, that's fine. But for today, let's consider what it means to be created in the image of God. The prevalent evolutionary view today is that we are not created at all, but we evolved and mutated from lower, less developed species of humanoids. And it says modern humans supposedly originated in Africa within the past 200,000 years and evolved from their most likely recent common ancestor, an instinct species of human known as Homo erectus, which means upright man in Latin. That's what we're told, and it's presented over and over again as undeniable fact, but it is not fact, okay? Uh, first off, it's not just history, it's ancient history, really ancient history, before any human was around to witness it, testify to it, or record, record it. It cannot be scientifically proven, forensically proven. There's no historical evidence for it. There's just no basis for it. It's not fact. It is just a theory. And uh, understand the reason scientists do not, uh, they don't reject the creation model because there's evidence against it because there isn't any. 
and nor do they reject the creation model because there isn't any evidence for it, because there's a lot of it. They reject the creation model because it involves God. And they think you can't prove God scientifically, so it just doesn't count. Don't even think about it. But here's the thing. You can't prove the non-existence of God scientifically. Both are faith positions. Atheism, as much as theism, is a faith religious belief. That's just how it is. And that's, you know, but in our world, we have this view that's considered scientific fact, therefore it must be true, but it is not. In the meantime, there's a growing body of evidence against the evolutionary model that even secular scholars are recognizing. And I only have time for a few examples. For instance, did you know there's three newly discovered genes in the human body that have never been discovered before, and they're completely unique to the human body, and they cannot be found in any other life form, okay? That's a problem for evolution, because you can't have three new genes showing up out of nowhere with no ancestors. Does that make sense? It's a problem, and uh, in fact, you know, missing links abound everywhere, and you know, they talk about there's development. The missing links are everywhere, and uh, they're just there. All sorts of missing ancestors. In the previous message, I mentioned how fossils of prehistoric trilobites, who were supposed to be extinct millions of years ago, have been found embedded in the footprints, sandal prints of ancient man, which calls into question the dating processes of science. Scientists have age-dated a cache of 226 artifacts which included some well-crafted stone-tipped throwing spears unearthed in Ethiopia. The problem is, any form of man with the kind of intelligence to create such a thing or the physiology to throw spears did not exist to 200, you know, 80,000 years later. And so they keep coming up with these things. Now, here's the sad problem. When evolutionists run into these little anomalies, they just rerun the dating tests, and they come up with different dates. I mean, that's just what happens. And so we have this problem. Understand that the history books are filled with examples where scientists have manipulated the data to fit their theories, you know? And there's plenty of hoaxes. Probably the most famous in this whole discussion is uh, skull fragments of a famous Piltdown man. How many have heard of Piltdown man? Okay, and uh, were found, and it was supposed to be the, the famous missing link between modern man and our ancestors, and it was, it was proven to be a hoax. And that's just one, okay? So please understand, those of you who are sub, you know, subjected to ideas about evolution, scientists are human too. They're human. That means they're open to their own biases, and they're not always truthful. I mean, it's a human thing. So keep that in mind as you listen to this stuff. So in Genesis 2-7, it says, The Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. We are created in the image of God. The Bible says God made man from earth and heaven. He's spirit and flesh. We're both physical and spiritual. And as we look at ourselves, it's obvious we're different than any other creature on the planet. The complexity of both our physical and spiritual natures reveals we were created by an unfathomably brilliant creator. It's hard to deny. Let's just look at our physical side. Okay, the physical side of our being is a natural wonder. Our human body is unequaled in its complexity. Each one of its 30 trillion cells is a mini chemical factory which performs about 10,000 chemical functions each. Every cell 
has a trillion bits of information, okay, within it. And uh, it also replaces itself every, what, seven years. Each cell is independent, yet cooperates with all the many other millions of other cells. How did that come to be? I mean, wrap your head around that. The body's billions of parts work together, okay, as a team. We have 206 bones that provide the framework. We have 639 muscles to enable the human body to move with such, you know, speed and accuracy. We have coordination and balance that allow the human body to do amazing feats of acrobatics. We can perform strengths, feats of strength, not me, but others, and, and, and you know, un- unbelievable amounts. The human body is extraordinary in all these things. It's just hard to believe that that came about by chance. The, the, the human ear has 24,000 hair cells, okay, that convert vibrations in the air into electrical impulses which transmit information to the brain. Really? Okay, and it's, and it's meaningful information. Okay, the human eye has 125 million rods, 6 to 7 million cones, which convert light waves into electrical impulses. It also sends information to the brain that we can make sense of. And that just happened. Okay, our body is controlled and coordinated by over 16 billion neurons and 120 trillion connection boxes between them, packed together in an unfathomably complex set of neuropathways in our brain and our spinal, spinal column that weighs just a little over three pounds. I mean, it's, it's hard to wrap your head around that. Nerve impulses flash along the neurofibers at 300 miles per hour. Man, and that's going on in your head right now. Or maybe you're falling asleep, I don't know. But even when we sleep, it's happening. The human, they say the human brain and nervous system is the most complex arrangement of matter anywhere in the known universe, period. Okay, did that happen by accident? To believe our brain is a product of evolution is like taking your smartphone, I don't care if you have an iOS or a Galaxy, I don't, it doesn't matter, and you take it apart piece by piece. Just so you have a bunch of parts, and you throw all the parts in a box. And so you believe that by shaking that box long enough, all those parts are going to become the smartphone again. What are the chances of that happening? That's what we're talking about when it comes, that's just your brain. And by the way, your brain makes a smartphone look like a piece of Lego, a small piece. It took man's brain to create the smartphone. You, you get what I'm saying here? <laughs> to say that it happened by some, without God, it takes more faith. I don't know about you. And that's just our brain, our whole body is a system of interdependent systems that somehow came into being all at the same time. Our whole body functions together as a unified whole and enables us to do things like run and sing and dance and create and achieve and do all sorts of other amazing things that we take for granted. This morning, I found a daddy long-legged spider in my house. I I just thought, I mean, I I, I just looked and, and I like daddy long legs. Those are amazing creatures of God, too. Those thin little spindly legs, there's narrow fibers in those legs that make those things. I mean, that's just, a, if that isn't testimony to God, I don't know what it is. So I like these guys, and I didn't want to squash it. So I just naturally reached down and gently grabbed it by one of its legs and took, relocated it. 
I want you to think for a second. Do you understand the complexity of that movement, especially of a guy my age? I just, without thinking about it, I reached down and grabbed this little spider and held his little fragile leg without hurting it, took it out, and it went on its merry way. Do you understand how miraculous that is? Do you realize how much coding it would take for a, someone to do that with a robot? I do it naturally without thinking about it. God first created the limbs, the machinery to do it, but then he coded it. He coded it so that I could just naturally, without even giving it a second thought, do that. How did I get coded that way? Who coded me? Because it, it wasn't me. It wasn't any other human. Who coded you? <laughs> Come on, guys. You are created in the very image of God. And that's just our physical side, okay? Am I missing a passage there? Yes, somehow it got bleeped out. For you created my inmost being. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. That's what the Bible says. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. That's, you know, and that's just our body. Let's take a look at our spiritual side. We have a spiritual side that's scientifically unexplainable. It would take several, it would take books to unpack all this. But let me point out a few highlights of how our spiritual nature reflects the nature of God. To begin with, we have a spiritual nature, an inner nature that animals simply do not have. And we, you know, we think, we reason, we process mentally at incredible speeds, at incredible levels of abstractness. And we start doing this at a very young age. Animals don't even come close to thinking the way humans can think. And we have a range and depth of feelings and emotions that transcend anything we see evidence in the animal kingdom. You know, think of all the emotions you feel. And we, so we have that emotional part. We especially have a range of ingrained and inherent desires and wants, instincts for spiritual things that science literally cannot touch or explore through scientific technology because you can't run experiments on them. How about love? Science can tell us nothing about love. How many of you believe love exists? Okay. Love is so fundamental and essential to our existence, we could not live without it. But we love, we know that. How about truth? Now, we might wonder if it's there, wonder if we can get it, but we have an idea of it. Do you understand? That's amazing. We have an idea of truth. We may not know how to get there, but we know. And we, we live as if something's true. Just that, right and wrong. We have an idea, we have a moral compass. We call it a conscience. That's, you know, where do we get that? And we also have a sense of justice when wrong is done because we want that balance. Where do these things come from? They're part of our spiritual nature. They did not come from evolution. You can't even begin to explain those kinds of things through an evolutionary model. They're instilled in us because we were created in the image of God. And, you know, talk about God, just our very, the very idea of God, not whether you believe in it or not, where did we get the idea of God? How did that get into the head of man? Do you understand? Okay, so we've got this thing inside us, and it's not just that we think of God, what about our desire for God? It's been well pointed out that almost every human being at some level of their spiritual psyche, they have a desire for God, if not for God, to be God, but it's, it's there. And I like what C.S. Lewis said. He says, if we 
find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. You and I are created in the image of God, and we want to complete the circle. We want to connect with our source. It's our spiritual nature. We even have a sense of eternity. Ecclesiastes 3 says, God has set the eternity in the hearts of men, yet they can't fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. Have you ever played this game? Have you ever tried to comprehend eternity? But we all have a sense of eternity. We all kind of, yeah, I get it. We, yeah, and, but have you ever tried to think beyond it? Can't do it. You were created in the image of God. The adjectives in an unabridged dictionary which refer to human attitudes and disposition number a staggering 17,958. All of these words describe inner possible inner states and conditions, spiritual states like brave or kindness or generosity or being powerful or sly or fickle, and it goes on. Animals don't have this. We have it because we have this inner spiritual nature. And let's not even get started with our innate talents, abilities, and gifts, you know, because everybody is gifted and talented in certain ways. And uh, some of us can sing, some of us can dance, some of us can organize, some of us can lead. There's gardening, there's math, there's people who can build, there's coding, cooking. I mean, the list goes on. And the, the things we do just naturally without thinking about it, how do you explain that? without creator God who created us in his image. And each of us have our own special set of giftings. Probably the most important ability distinguishing us from all other animals is our capacity for language and communication. The evolutionists have never been able to bridge the immense gulf between human language and animal communication. They just haven't ever, ever been able to do it. Noam Chomsky, famous linguist, along with many other linguists have found not only that there's no connection between animal sounds and human speech, but also that there's a deep commonality between the basic thought patterns of all men, regardless of how diverse their individual languages may be. There's a fundamental connection. He calls it a deep structure that exists between all human languages. It's what makes translation possible so that we can actually learn one another's languages because we have this underlying deep structure that we tie into that animals do not have but we do. It's also universally agreed, even by secular scientists, that all our various human languages come from one language, one source. The oldest language that has been able to be discovered and reconstructed, reconstructed already shows itself to be sophisticated and complex. Okay, so what we find in all the records is there's no evolution of language. It just shows up as a language. The only thing the history book shows is the diversity of languages as they got confused in history. Yeah, sound familiar? But there's more. I mean, this is, I love this stuff because this is where I live. I, let's go back to the verse where it says, let us make man in our image. Try to follow me here, okay? Because for me, this is what I get excited about. One explainable thing about man is that we all have a concept of self. We have an awareness of self. We have a, a sense of self that's universally accepted even by atheistic scientists. Everybody agrees we have a sense of self. Where did we get that? How did we come to have it? 
okay? And unless you accept the idea that it came from a transcendent, supernatural creator, you know, it's unexplainable. You really can't explain it. But it gets more deeper. It gets deeper and more profound because our God exists not just as a self, but as three separate selves. You with me? Like, okay, well, how's he going to tie this in? What are you up to here? Yet these three selves are so connected, they are one. Okay? Understand, we are created in the image of that God, the three-in-one God. So watch this. We, too, have been created with instincts to be separate and one. And no other God on the planet explains that. For instance, I have a driving instinct to be an individual. How many like to be individual? And as an individual, we like to be special, unique, different. You, you know, we all have that. That's why some of you wear tats. That's why some of us wear our hair a certain way. It, it, it dictates the style of glasses, the clothes we wear, the cars we drive, the music we listen to. We all want to be unique and special and different. And, you know, we, des- we desire that, to be attractive. We just have that. Where does that come from? A God who is three. Un- three unique individuals. Okay? But I also have this desire to be like to belong, to be a part of something bigger. And it's mind-blowing because the very same things that I use to identify myself and make myself different are now the very same things that connect me to my group, that make me like my group, my gang, my tribe, my clang, my peeps. And I have these two inner driving desires. Where do those desires come from? Three in one God. Because we worship a God who is an eternal fellowship, a three-in-one, separate but one. We have the same motivational hardwiring in our souls, and it shows up everywhere. Does that make sense? And you see, <laughs> did someone say no? Okay. And, <laughs> and you see, our God exists as this communicating eternal fellowship that he's created us for, and he's calling us into this very same fellowship. And so, in order for those two competing instincts to be satisfied, there's only one way, by following God's design. By connecting to the three-in-one God, I can find ways in this church, this fellowship, I can, be my, I can be my unique self. And I am. Mike can be his unique self, right? And you are unique, Mike. <laughs> and we stand up, we're unique together. But we are one. Are you starting to see what we're talking about here? Why is that possible? Because we are one in Jesus, right, Mike? We are one in Jesus. And because we're under God's plan, and by the way, Cheryl, I'm departing from the plan here, so just follow along. Okay, she's good. Because we're creating God, he's created the fellowship to be that way. What happens? What happens when we depart from God's plan? And usually what happens is that we either become so intent on becoming unique and individual, we detach ourselves from the whole, or we become so embedded in the whole, we just lose our identity. You have to understand that God's plan was to bring us together to be unique individuals as one body. That's the plan. That's what God wants us to be. But there's another spiritual force in the universe that has another plan, 
and another ambition. And we know him as Satan. And Satan also wants to bring all things in the universe under one head, him. But he can't help you become the individual glorious reflection of God you are. The only thing Satan can do is assimilate you into himself. And this is what I just, when I first understood this concept, it shook me because, you know, it's Satan wants to assimilate us. And when we follow Satan's plan, we cease to become unique individuals. We become, how many of you watch Star Trek and know what the Borg is? That's what we're talking about. We're talking about one, uh, one of my favorite authors, George MacDonald, has said this, all wickedness tends to destroy individuality and declining natures assimilate as they sink. That's profound. And you see, God sent his son Jesus Christ into the world so that we could be free from the sad ending. In 1 John chapter 1, John says this, we proclaim to you what we've seen and heard about Jesus so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his son Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. He's calling you into fellowship with him right now. Okay? But there's another voice that wants to assimilate you. It's not about going to heaven or hell. It's about you becoming one of God's precious children or becoming one of Satan's pawns where we lose ourselves. See, it's not about going to heaven or hell. It's about saving your soul from de-evolving into the mass. We're not evolving, we're de-evolving when we don't have God. So we are hardwired for fellowship with God and each other because we are created in this image of God who is internal fellowship. Guys, there is no other God like our God. There is no God like our God. And he's created you, he's still creating you. And so my message to you today is, why keep fighting him? Just let him be the creator of your life and do his work. Amen? Let's all be standing for a closing word of prayer. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for your love, your grace, your patience. I thank you for Jesus who's come into our world to show us what it means to be a separate, beautiful entity reflecting God and yet one with God. And and may we follow in his footsteps. And may we follow in his footsteps with each other because, Father, we drive each other crazy sometimes. We're still learning how to do this thing. But the whole purpose of you giving us the Bible is learning us, teaching us the humility and the kindness and the love so that we can be separate but connected in you. And when we do that, Father, the Lord looks on and they go, wow. So that's what God looks like. And that's what we want to be, Father, in you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, we got to do chairs, guys. We get to work together to put up chairs.